are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I hope you all are well. So I have a great one for you this week. I got a chance to sit down with Michelle Hay. Michelle Hay is the co-director of acupuncture at Boston IVF, where she works as a colleague of frequent Hit Play Not Pause guest, Dr. Carla Girolamo, who is an OBGYN and endocrinologist at that same facility. Carla often refers her patients to see Michelle to treat symptoms like bloating, fullness, hot flashes, night sweats, disrupted sleep, irritability, stress, cloudy, foggy headedness. Sound familiar? They're all symptoms that are associated with fertility treatments and are also the same hormonally driven symptoms women experience when they get to the menopause transition, which is something that she also helps many of her clients with. She is not only well-versed in traditional Chinese medicine, but her previous career was as a respiratory therapist, which gives her an understanding of both Eastern and Western medicine. So we talk all about acupuncture, what it is, what it does, what you can expect from treatments, and a whole lot more. I personally went through a series of acupuncture treatments. It's been a few years, but I did it for a story, and I didn't know what to expect, and I really really loved it. It felt like I was sort of levitating off the table, yet very heavy and calm. And I've never really experienced anything like it. So I was really excited to dig in further with Michelle on all of this. Um, She is also delightfully feisty. And it was a super fun conversation. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I will put a link to her practice in the show notes so you can check her out. Before we get to it, I want to thank you all for your wonderful messages for our special 100th episode, which is coming up next week. We'll be sharing some of those in that show. As always, you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. You can join our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group and be part of our conversations there. And remember, we have a weekly blog. I put it together each week. You can sign up for it and get it in your inbox every Thursday. Just go to feistymenopause.com. I have an email. If you'd like to reach me, I am at hitplaynotpause at lifeisty.com. As always, if you like the show, please share it with your friends and on your socials. It helps us to grow. And if you don't already, please follow the show on Apple Podcasts. To do that, just go to the show on your Apple Podcast app, hit the little plus button in the corner there on the upper right-hand side, and it automatically uploads each week. And that tells Apple that you like us, and that helps others to find us. Lastly, I would like to thank Bonafide for their continued support of this show. A comfortable vagina is a happy vagina and Bonafide products make your vagina comfortable and happy. So thanks for your continued support, Bonafide. All right, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. 
a quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. Okay, Michelle, I am, I've been actually looking forward to this one since our mutual friend and colleague, Dr. Carla DiGirolamo, and often frequent guests on the show recommended you because acupuncture has come up a few times in the membership and on the conversations we're having here. I have had it myself and really enjoy it. I've written about it, but I've, you know, I've never really interviewed someone in this way on acupuncture. So I'm, I'm very excited for this conversation. I hope I live up to your expectations. <laughs> I am certain you will. Um, let's just start with your background. Like what inspired you to get into and pursue acupuncture? Well, I'm going to give you a bit of a vague answer. I uh, have a bachelor's degree of science in respiratory therapy. I worked in a neurosurgical and surgical intensive care and worked in the emergency room. That was my initial career as I graduated from uh, you know, university. I met a friend of a friend's mum who was an acupuncturist and she was working uh, in New Jersey, I think it was, or actually maybe Pennsylvania, working with patients who had paranoid schizophrenia. And she was looking to improve their medication compliance because there's significant side effects from a lot of these psych drugs. So she wasn't looking necessarily to treat the paranoid schizophrenia, but to help, I mean, as a side effect that obviously was part and parcel because you have to treat people emotionally as well. But she was looking to treat the very real physical side effects of these medications. And she was just fascinating to speak to. She was interesting, dynamic. She had a different, a slightly different way to look at the world of medicine. And I walked away from, from her thinking, I could do that. I really like that. And there were a number of things over that next year that just came into my life that I thought, okay, I have to start paying attention to this. I'm starting to see signs that this should be an avenue that I should pursue. And I had nothing, you know, I had an apartment, I had a car, I had nothing to lose. And so I applied to the school in Boston, which is the New England School of Acupuncture, which is now part of MCPHS, the Massachusetts College for Pharmacy and Health Sciences out in Worcester. And I got accepted into their master's degree program and I took a chance and I moved to Boston and away I went. Can you share any of what those signs were that pointed you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> There were, there were just very subtle things in my life. Um, somebody had mentioned acupuncture and I thought, hold up, nobody's ever mentioned this to me before. Hmm. But the one, uh, the one that I will comment on directly is that the school was in Watertown, Massachusetts. And the school was very focused on healthy living, organic produce, chemical, like not a chemical-free environment, but low chemical environment, just so much more awareness of things around you and, and they had Tai Chi every day and just very positive type of schooling, right? But specifically that organic produce, even the small cafeteria. And I was driving to work and I was working as a respiratory therapist and I worked tonight, excuse me, I was driving home from work. It was, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and there was an organic produce truck from Watertown, Massachusetts that drove past me. And I was in Hartford because I worked at Hartford Hospital at the time. I wasn't anywhere near Watertown, Massachusetts. And it <laughs> Seven something in the morning on a Sunday. And I thought, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. So I, you know, made the appointment and away I went to have an interview. And I applied and thought, okay, here we go. 
took a chance. I love that. I love that. Which, which actually sets up another question that I had for you quite nicely is that, um, you know, in doing my background research for this conversation specifically, cause I haven't, I haven't talked about acupuncture or written about it in any way for a while. You know, I've seen terms like Western medical acupuncture thrown out along with Chinese acupuncture in the literature. And clearly you have experience in both of these ways of medicine now, you know, having made that crossover. And I would love for you to speak to this a bit. I, my sense when I look at that, I'm like, okay, is Western medical acupuncture just a way of westernizing the terminology in a way that it lands better on western ears or is there actually a difference between these two things i think it is what you initially thought of is this a way to westernize the lingo so that people are more comfortable as far as i'm concerned if you are an acupuncturist and you have gone to an accredited school first and foremost it's a master's degree program all the way up to a phd program um, you have to take a board you have to be board certified you should have malpractice insurance there are a number of things that you should have as a certified acupuncturist and i cannot speak of all the states because i don't know all of their rules but in massachusetts you have to go to school you have to pass a board exam um, and that's fundamentally what makes you an acupuncturist. Whether you choose to label yourself as a Western medical acupuncturist, which perhaps gives the suggestion that you have some Western medical background, such as myself, or a nursing background, or you've been a physician, I can understand from a marketing standpoint or from a social standpoint how you would want to get that in, in your title. But an acupuncturist is an acupuncturist. That's a good question. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. So how do you explain how acupuncture works? Like if I were to come in and say to you, how does this work? Do you explain key or chi or however, I'm not sure how that is properly pronounced. I mean, how do, how do you, what language do you use and how do you explain how it works? I use both. And it's funny. It, it's funny that you asked me this because yes, patients ask me this, but I have uh, the biggest difficulty answering this question when I'm in social settings. If I ever go to parties, you know, in the before times where people actually used to go to parties and you'd meet new people, they'd, and especially in uh, Massachusetts, they say, so what do you do for a living? And I, inside I would cringe. I'd think, oh gosh, do I have to go through this explanation again? I can totally see that. And then the next follow-up question, probably a good 60, 70% of the time is, do you really think that works? I think, hmm. I'm really like, no. You're <laughs> not trying to be rude, but you're really being quite rude here. Um, so the world of Chinese medicine and the world of today from a societal standpoint is having a disconnect. When you go to acupuncture school, you learn so much about the history, about the theory, about the origins of acupuncture. And the way that acupuncture is taught is really looking at a differential diagnosis based on physical presentation of the patient. So you're doing investigative reporting through questioning and visual observations to come to a differential diagnosis. You know, you have an algorithm in your brain and you pop, you pop in certain things, feedback, information that the patient gives you, because during the particular time period that acupuncture was growing as a healthcare model in China, umpteen hundreds of years ago, there was no diagnostic tool that you could do that would give you feedback, such as blood work or an ultrasound, <clears throat> excuse me, or things along those lines. So you had to be very good with your powers of observation and also looking at patients um, physically, but then what are they bringing to you? What are they what is their main complaint? What is their physical presentation as well? How do they look? How do they present to you? And so you, you do a differential diagnosis on that. The way that the disconnect is, is that from today's society, you're looking for what's my blood pressure? What's that number that came from my blood work? Give me an ultrasound. Does it say I have this or does it say I have that? And the world of Chinese medicine is not like that. I cannot give you that tangible thing, right? that tangible piece of blood work. So when you're looking for an acupuncturist and you go to an acupuncturist and you say, okay, my presentation, or my, sorry, my main complaint is I'm going for menopausal symptoms. Well, there's a whole spectrum of menopausal symptoms. And so one patient does not represent that one diagnosis. You need to look at them and tease out the information of what's really going on under that title of menopause. Is it more hot flashes? Is it more night sweats? Is it things along those lines? So when... And um, patients come to me and 
with a specific thing. I then go, right, do my investigative reporting, and I turn around and I explain at the end of the treatment, I'll place my needles, do my differential diagnosis, and they'll say, so what, what am I doing? Why, why am I here, right? right. So I'm looking to uh, improve the quality of your symptoms. Those are the things that I say right off the bat. Your main complaint is my main complaint. However, I'm looking to quality of life. What are the things that you're most concerned about? So if you're coming with heat, I'm looking to decrease the heat. If you're coming with insomnia, I'm looking to improve your insomnia. If you're coming with digestive complaints, I'm looking to improve your digestive well-being. Speaking about chi, yin, yang aspect, I get it. They sound so vague. <laughs> My husband will say, well, is there unicorns or whale song in the room as you're explaining this? And I think, no, that's not what this is about, right? So in my differential diagnosis, I'm looking for what's excess of what's deficient and how do I bring it back to the middle? How do I encourage your body to autocorrect? And those are the things I'm looking for. Qi, Q-I, is the term that is used to describe your energetic potential. Sorry, I'll circle back. I know long-winded in my explanation. No, I like this. I was going to ask you to just give definitions of those terms you just used. Qi is seen as the energetic potential in your body. There are five major organ systems from the world of traditional Chinese medicine. I am old school Chinese style acupuncturist. There's Japanese style, there's Korean style, there's all different types of subsets, but I'm an old school traditional Chinese style acupuncturist. And so I'm looking at the five major organ systems and how they interact with each other. Each one of those organ systems has a physical, mental, and a emotional property to it. That's also part of my differential diagnosis. Each one of those has that chi, that energetic potential. So is it excessive? Is it deficient? How do I correct for that? Hmm. Now, from the Western medical perspective, what is that doing? And my answer specifically is, I don't know. I cannot explain it from the Western medical standpoint because I'm not a Western physician. I fully appreciate and understand the complexity of the neurological composition of one's body. I fully appreciate and understand how complex the endocrine system is. I mean, oh my, the uh, previous practitioner that you had, the medical doctor that does the um, menopausal support, listening to her talk was fabulous but it also brings to light how much we don't know. I know through looking at functional MRI studies that different acupuncture points will light up different parts of the brain. I understand that from a neurological standpoint, the lattice work that goes through our body is so extensive, we have no idea. Uh, neurologists themselves, a perfect example is when patients come for migraine headaches, which is something that is very commonly treated with acupuncture. Neurologists themselves will say, we don't know where your migraines are coming from. But here's the six things that we're going to try to address. We'll start here. We'll go there. I, I can't tell you why your migraines are happening. We know it's with the brain. We know it's with vasculature. We know the, we're not sure. Acupuncture, unfortunately, is a little vague such as that as well. We know that it innervates the nervous system. We know that it affects the brain. We know that it, inter in, it innervates the endocrine system as well. I cannot tell you that specific mode of transport or action or innervation. And this is where as acupuncturists, we need to then move forward with funding, research, pulling together uh, as bodies of uh, practitioners to say, yeah, we need more information about that as opposed to being this is a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, so bear with me, uh, dismissed as placebo, because it's clearly not placebo. You cannot have a medical treatment that has been around for hundreds of years that patients will attest to successful results from that has lasted this long and just have it be a placebo. Yes. And, and it's, it's very, very interesting how, I mean, clearly when you, I mean, anyone who has ever had it, knows that when you place those needles and do that work, you feel something like there's, there's no question that is activating all sorts of things, you know, and, and it, how, how could it not, you know, and just because we don't have the same, just because you can't draw a direct, like connection, like you were saying to, well, this is yin, this is yang, which I'd like you to uh, define too in a second, but just because you can't say you know, key equals Western medical terminology does not mean that it 
it doesn't equal some Western terminology. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't mean it's not affecting something that we would understand in our Western trained ears. Does that make sense? It does. However, that's not what people are looking for, right? They're looking for something tangible. However, if you were to take a step back and speak from a philosophical standpoint, people talk about chi all the time. They talk about energetic potential. France, the French language, the joie de vivre, right? The, the joy of life that people bring, you think, oh, well, they've really got a lovely energy about them. You speak about it casually. This is something that is part of our everyday lingo, but the world of Chinese medicine has looked at that almost as a diagnostic tool, right? That's one of the things that you look for in further questioning of, all right, what are you seeing that's not working well in the body? Because I know this particular organ system uh, is attributed to this physical symptom or this emotional symptom or this mental symptom. And if that's deficient, then that's what I need to treat. So the yin and the yang aspect, right? The symbol that everyone thinks of, the black and the white, the circles that move into each other. It's a beautiful description of the way life is. Because sometimes in your life you're up, and then other times you're down. Sometimes you are, uh, you're in the darkest part of the night and then other times you're in the brightest part of the day. It is a very philosophical way to look at how things flow, right? Now, explain that to me in Western medical terms. Uh... <laughs> but yeah. Western medical physicians do the same thing I do. They look at their patients. They see what they're coming to, uh, sorry, coming for. They assess their physical appearance. They look at uh, the quality of the tone of their voice. You know, are they speaking about things? Are they hiding things? They do those assessments as well. It's just that as an acupuncturist, I delve much deeper. I look at patients from a constitutional standpoint. Um, I look at where they are now, where I want them to be, how we can change it. Because the body, for the most part, wants to heal itself, right? It's phenomenal. You get a paper cut and you think, oh, that's a pain. And then you can watch it over a couple of days. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. fascinating. So why would we think that something such as acupuncture wouldn't affect the body? You can see it even from a, from a small paper cut. Well, if your body has the ability to heal that, why wouldn't it be able to look at a, on a grander scale, on a bigger picture, that acupuncture wouldn't be able to affect you from a neurological or a straight if you just want to look at it from a brain from a brain standpoint and you just don't know enough about it yet come on studies <laughs> i say that all the time i just like amen for decades running shoes have been researched tested and designed for men Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. 
I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. One of the, the reasons that Dr. Carla uh, recommended you is because of your work to reduce like the stress response to for people who maybe not have heard her. She's our endocrinologist. She does a lot of IVF and a lot of fertility work, and she's getting heavily into the menopause and perimenopause space. Um, and she works in uh, tangent with you often to help reduce stress response, which in turn has benefits on the reprodu reproductive hormone access. I was wondering if you could talk about that work a little bit, like what you're seeing as far as acupuncture and that stress response. Well, acupuncture is fantastic when you're speaking about stress response. The reason why is because it also covers a litany of signs and symptoms. There are plenty of patients that come to me that say, oh, my stress level is so high. My guts are a mess. My stress level is so high. I'm not sleeping or I feel terribly irritable. I have cloudy, foggy headedness. You think, okay, let's work on those. One or, or sorry, one symptom does not equal a diagnosis. So I look at the patient constitutionally, and then I look at the symptom that they're coming to me with. I look to correct for the symptom, but then I also look to give their constitution a bit of improvement, so to speak. We all have things that we're prone to experiencing when stress affects us. You know, what's your Achilles heel? What's my Achilles heel? And so if you're able to treat that, you allow patients to have yet another tool in their toolbox for managing the stress that we all experience. And stress, stress again, is this vague term that we all have. Oh, I feel so stressed. I feel so anxious. What does it mean? How does it manifest? What happens to you? And then how do you improve that? I'm a huge advocate of utilizing exercise, guided meditation. Sleep is a highly underutilized tool in our toolbox. And acupuncture, because it is... It's so easy, for lack of a better term. It is non-invasive. Now, I understand time and money, very real things. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that have the luxury of having it covered by health insurance, and other mm -hmm. people don't. There are some people who live in Massachusetts where there are, I think there's like 5,000 acupuncturists. And you go to Montana, and there's probably four. Right. I do want, I, excuse me, Montana acupuncturist out there. I'm not sure if there's just four of you. I'm <laughs> you just, maybe there's many of them. I understand what you're saying. You can go to another place and you might have a desert where there is none. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you're speaking about a tool in your toolbox to help improve the quality of your life, if you develop a good a relationship with a practitioner who you trust. This is someone who you can go back to time and time again to help manage the ups and downs that everyone experiences through life. Because stress doesn't tend to just come and go, it tends to ebb and flow, right? It's not just, it's a one-time deal, it shows up in July and you never see it again for five years. Oh, wouldn't that be great? If only. Wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> that just be great? Um, it ebb and flows through life. So if this is something that you think, yep, I can, first and foremost, time and money, I can financially afford it, I have a good practitioner, time allots for it. Again, it's a tool in your toolbox, helps people feel better. It improves your threshold so that you can manage with the things that are being thrown at you. Is stress one of the things you see most? I mean, when I did some research, I was saying that, you know, if you go into PubMed, you will find, you know, quite a bit of, of literature on hot flashes, right? You know, which is, which makes sense because everybody is looking at everything to treat hot flashes for menopausal women. You know, like if you look for almost anything, they're trying to help women with hot flashes because it's the signature symptom of menopause and it's so disruptive, right? Um, what are the symptoms that you see women coming to you most often for in your practice? Um, so if I'm to speak about from a fertility standpoint, because presently my private practice is associated with Boston IVF. 
Right, fair enough. Quality Clinic um, in Waltham, Massachusetts. So outside of Boston. I treat patients before, during and after fertility treatment. Um, I treat them during their menstrual cycles and then I treat them, frankly, during their perimenopausal or menopausal stage of life as well. So I I see the whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. During fertility treatment specifically, you will have patients that have bloating, fullness, hot flashes, night sweats, disruptive sleep, irritability, restlessness, cloudy, foggy headedness. That's eight symptoms just right there. And several of those are quite similar to the symptoms that are experienced during menopause as well. So they're commonly treated symptoms that respond really nicely to acupuncture. Now, let's throw that vague term of stress in there as well. Stress exacerbates everything. First and foremost, it's not necessarily what's happening to you, but it's also how you feel about what's happening to you as well. So there are plenty of patients that will have one or some of those symptoms and it doesn't bother them. But there are some where it does bother them. And then that heightens the stress that, sorry, the stress then heightens the symptoms as well. So it's a huge factor in people's lives. If I can get you on the table, I can help you feel more calm, more grounded. I can treat some of those physical symptoms so that you just plumb feel better. You walk out thinking, okay, I can do this. This is going to get better. I know I can manage this. I can hang on. I can uh, can participate more in my life. I have better quality of sleep. My uh, cloudy, foggy headedness goes away. My signs and symptoms improve. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. That's that's huge to someone's life, as opposed to just going home and thinking, nothing makes me feel better. I don't know what to do. I have no control over this. And it feels awful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's powerful. Can you can you talk a bit about like what a session looks like? Like what you know, if I walked in and we were going to you know, pursue a session, what would that look like? What would I what would I do? What would you do? So typically initial appointment would be 90 minutes. Uh, Most practitioners will have you fill out a health history questionnaire so that it gets a a variety of symptoms down on paper. And that is my outline. When a patient comes into me, they hand me over their health history questionnaire. Those are the things that I proceed to then ask because that's what the patient is focused on, right? What What is your main complaint? Because that's my main complaint. I go through all those questions. I ask top of the head to the bottom of the feet, right? Ask about headaches, chest stuff, ask about digestion, ask about bowel movements. I ask about thirst and interest in food. Uh, If you're female, gynecological issues, energy, sleeping, emotional well-being, body temperature. And then I do my differential diagnosis. I pull up my algorithm into my head. Typically, because I'm a Chinese style practitioner, your practitioner will look at your tongue They perhaps will feel your pulses. Some Japanese practitioners do abdominal uh, palpation as well. So that's not out of the order as well, but that's not how I practice. I pop you on the table. It's lovely in the room, if I do say so myself. (laughs) Uh, Benign background music, table warmer, heat at your feet. Typically, uh, patients remain mostly dressed. I will arrange clothing as I see fit. Most of the time, needles go head, abdomen, arms, and legs, so it covers your whole body. Ears, no ears. Posterior aspect of the body as well, if necessary. I inhale and exhale as I place these needles. All these needles, single use, fully disposable, nothing scary. I use 32-gauge needles, which some practitioners go, oh, that's so big. Uh, By the way, that's about the width of your hair. Other practitioners use 34, 36, 38-gauge needles. And to give you an idea, the bigger the number, the smaller the needle. Most blood draws that you've had done with a hypodermic syringe, which means a needle which has a hollow bit in the middle, somewhere between 18 to 20 to 22 gauge needles. To give you an idea of that range. I leave patients to percolate most of the time for 30, 35 minutes on the table. Uh, If you need work done on the posterior aspect of your body, if I determine such, then I'll have you lay face down as well for typically anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, depending on time and the patient's tolerance. I pop all your needles out and then, uh, well, sometimes I'll send you home with Prestax, small stickers that stimulate particular acupuncture points on your body. And then I send you on your way. What can a woman expect to experience during all this? 
I mean, I, I know when I had it, I felt like I was sort of sinking and levitating all at the same time. It was crazy sensations. So I'm wondering like what, what a woman can expect to experience. How often does she need treatment? You know, like what is, how long does it take quote unquote to feel to work? You know, what, what is, what do you advise afterwards? Yeah. What do I do? Right. Yeah. So I assess typically in four to six week increments. Typically, I see patients once a week. If you're in a lot of pain, I see patients twice a week. But full disclosure, I don't typically treat pain. That is not what people come to me for. And it's really funny because when I was in acupuncture school, one of my professors has said to me, um, you know, you're going to end up treating what you're good at treating. And I remember thinking, yeah, right. I've got student loans. I've got to pay my rent. Like I'm going to treat whoever comes through my door. Uh, because I had a private practice and I was also working at another clinic. I was working at a low cost clinic in town. And it's true. This is who I ended up. I ended up following into that woman's health. And it's funny because I, I used to be a respiratory therapist and I thought, oh, I'm going to get all these pulmonary patients because I, that was my thing. That's not who came to me. And let's think I've been practicing since 2003. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a good period of time now where I've accepted, oh, okay, this is what I'm good at treating. I like this. Uh, right, so what can you expect? Tingling, itchy sensation, heaviness, even a dull ache at the needle points, all totally appropriate. Uh, if you're on the table and you experience sharp pain, you know, 10, five or 10 seconds after needle insertion, you should tell your acupuncturist. Uh, I'd like to think that that doesn't happen, but sometimes it does. Everyone's body is a little bit different. Most, uh, almost all acupuncture need, uh, points, sorry, are placed based on bony landmarks and protuberances. So you'll feel your acupuncturist palpating around to find the particular acupuncture point. So laying on the table, most patients do not fall asleep, which is funny because I'll have patients say to me, oh, if I fall asleep and I snore, don't tell anyone. <laughs> no, most people don't fall asleep, but they go into that in-between world where they're still awake, but they're not quite awake and it allows your brain a bit of time for suspended animation as far as I'm concerned so you're able to lay onto the table and find deep peace and relaxation now I have some patients that hate it they don't like it they can't lay there for 30 minutes I've had patients try to get up off the acupuncture table to get their phone in their handbag and so that I come in and they're like oh Oh, you found me with my phone. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Those are not the patients that tend to return. Or if they do, it's because their symptoms have improved and they like the result of the acupuncture, but they have a lot of difficulty finding that peace and quiet. Hmm. This, these are the patients that I'll suggest, okay, perhaps some guided meditation, maybe a book on tape, but as you're laying here, we try to modify the appointment so that they like it more. Um, yeah so let's think if I answered your question because I'm you did I'm I'm wondering if they need to like you totally answered the question so you were talking about seeing them in like increments to you know check in on them is this something so if I'm coming to you for any of those number of things you know I have night sweats I have hot flashes I have brain fog I have all the things and we're doing sessions is there a point at which we stop doing sessions that it is quote unquote done or is this a long-term process it tends to be a long-term process because perimenopause and menopausal symptoms are long-term mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're talking anywhere from five to seven years right some patients more than that some people less um i think i read that the average i think it, i think the average is five years yep something like that yeah five to seven years is the average Right. Yeah. That they experience the symptoms. And so I'll have patients that come to me for acute episodes. They come to me, they're totally unhappy. Um, maybe they've checked in with their uh, OB-GYN yet. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they've seen uh, that they've only spoken to their primary care and got kind of fobbed off from their primary care. Uh, these are only some of the things that patients have come to me with. I know lots of primary cares are very responsive to taking care of their patients. Let me put that out there. Yeah, Excuse yeah. Me. Um, but they, they come to me and I'm like, right, so you're going to come and see me once a week, one hour treatments with the exception of the first appointment being an hour and a half. And we're going to assess in four to six week increments. Um, quality of life is what we're looking for. 
So what's the main symptom that's bothering you the most? Let's address that. Let's get that under control. Most of the time, I'll have my perimenopausal or menopausal patients come to me in those increments and they feel better. Okay, are you better just with that? Um, We'll let bump your treatments out to every two weeks or once a month or something like that. If you start to see things creeping back in, come to me consistently for two or three weeks in a row. Let's get this back under control. Uh, I very much encourage the guided meditation, increasing your exercise, um, improving your quality of sleep, managing your stress at home. All of those things influence it. Seasonal changes really affect patients as well, especially spring to summer, right? It's the spring is seen as the liver time of year. There's lots of wind. There's lots of change. The temperature, um, you know, it's all over the place. I see a lot of perimenopausal patients then they come in. Oh my gosh, it's awful. Okay, come on in. Come see me for the next couple of weeks in a row. Let's get this under control. Now, I absolutely refer back patients to their gynecologists. Uh, If I have patients that come to me and they are having difficulty working, difficulty functioning, experiencing significant signs of depression, I have fabulous clinical psychologists that I work with as well that I refer to. Um, I'm also a practicing herbalist, though I do not practice at Boston IVF as a practicing herbalist. So I will refer patients to herbal practitioners. Again, time and money. A lot of patients cannot participate in acupuncture for six weeks in a row, but they can see a practicing herbalist and they can get a herbal formula and they can take a little bit of that every day because financially it makes more sense for them or their symptoms are so significant that they need that extra help and perhaps the hormone replacement therapy isn't for them. There's a whole spectrum that I can encourage patients to pursue. This could be a whole other show. So I'm I'm hesitantly opening this door, but I have to open this door. What what herbal treatments do you find are are most useful in this space? Ah, so yes, it is a bit of a sticky conversation, isn't it? Because it mm-hmm. in some circles it's rather taboo. Oh, herbs, what does that mean? Well, I'm gonna uh, come back to my original statement about an acupuncturist to be a practicing herbalist you have to go to school for it it's anywhere from a master's degree to a phd that you need to attain you need to be board certified you need to be a practicing herbalist with a full uh, herbal pharmacy um or you have um i think that in weymouth there's a chinese herbal pharmacy there's a pharmacist that you send off your prescription to and they send the patient the prescription um you're looking to work with highly tested and, um, you know, for uh, everyone talks about lead and chemicals and herbs and things along those lines. When you use an accredited pharmacy, you don't have to worry about any of that because it's all so highly tested. And those are the practitioners you want to go and see. Typically, it's not just one herb that works. It is a combination. A good practitioner should look at you, do a differential diagnosis and prescribe you a herbal formula. You would take uh, modern day, you would either do most of the time I do a powdered formula that I use the um, pharmacy that I send the prescription out and then they send it to the patient. You would drink that twice a day, sometimes once a day. Um, And then again, you should have a check in through uh, your initial consultation should be in person, but then you should have a check in weekly via Zoom. What's better? What's worse? What's the same? How do I tweak that? What do we do? I am not a fan of people self-prescribing. I It makes me cringe on the inside when I hear that um, my patients or individuals have gone online and purchased things that they don't know where it comes from. They don't know if it works for them. Uh, a practicing herbalist needs to be very aware of the medications that you're on, your pre-existing medical conditions. Those are all things that are factored into the prescription. So uh, that's not helpful when you're talking about How can I go to CVS and purchase one thing to help me feel better? And I know that I get groans and eye rolls when people, you know, when I give that as an answer, when people just want to know, just tell me the one thing. A good practicing herbalist will tell you it is not one thing because you are an individual. You are not a symptom. You are not a diagnosis. You have a pre-existing constitution that comes with you. I need to treat your constitution and I also need to treat the symptoms around you because if I treated you just like I treated everybody else, it wouldn't be as effective. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting to me that, that there, there can be this um, 
skepticism around herbalists because so many of our pharmaceuticals have origins in plants, right? Like it, I'm always surprised when I hear people saying like, oh, herbs are just, you know, like go to a real doctor, quote unquote. When I'm just like, well, a lot of the medications we use actually do have roots in, pun intended, in um, herbs and spices and plants. Well, there are plenty of times where, yes, you should go to a medical doctor, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm not trying to say. Yeah, no. yeah. Uh, same here. Um, but there are also plenty of times where a herbalist could make a huge impact in your life. There are so many things that happen to you that are acute. Yeah, you get your bum over to the hospital, you check in with your doctor, you do all those things. But there's a whole bunch of gray area in our life that, what do you do about that chronic stuff? What do you do about those niggling things? Or um, if there's not a medica- if there's a medication that's out there for, say, your particular syndrome or, or the thing that affects you, and it doesn't work for you, what's your point of read course? Where do you go from there? It's really nice to have a practicing herbalist, again, in that toolbox of practitioners that can help you have that better quality of life. Um, I'm going to sound a little conspiracy theorist, or, <laughs> um, but everybody knows that there's money to be made from big pharma. There is. They have big marketing campaigns. They are, they are the ones that can fund the research. They are the ones that they do good work. They really do. There are people whose lives have been changed by medication. And when you think about all oh, the things that maybe your parents or your grandparents, there was no treatment for, there is today. And that's fabulous. But it doesn't have to be the only way. And that also doesn't mean that herbs, you know, the twigs and the leaves and the blah, 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 can be discounted as well. So unrelated to menopause per se, and, and you mentioned that you don't work with pain, you know, so I, I understand that. But, you know, we do have like, our audience intersects here a bit where we have a lot of athletes in the group and um, there are sports injuries. There's wear and tear. There's, uh, you know, itises and aches and pains. Can you speak at all to how acupuncture is useful for those areas? Oh yeah. Well, um, I shouldn't say I don't treat any pain. It is just not the predominant of my practice. Um, I, I, I believe we had a conversation, a little micro one where I had said that, in my minute world, um, I had seen the predominance of shoulder injuries in yes. women, mm-hmm. and that there was a, a very small study in Japan that I had looked at, looking at that correlation of menopausal symptoms and shoulder issues. Now, shoulders, hips, such complicated joints. They're the only two joints in your body that go 180 degrees, right? They're also not, they're attached by, you know, so... Um, ligaments connect bone to bone, tendons connect muscle to bone, right? And so they're they're just kind of hanging out there, right? When you think about hinge joints, you think about your elbows, they're they're pretty beefy, substantial. But your shoulders just kind of held on to the side of your body. It's such a complicated joint. Um, So to, uh, to bring myself back to pain, pain is absolutely something that can be addressed from an acupuncture standpoint, it is something from a menopausal standpoint that, that you look at. I'm going to bring back the yin and the yang aspect, right? So the yin aspect of your body is really seen as, the, as a way to describe the estrogen aspect of your body. It is predominantly based on more of a female hormone perspective. And as you age, and I know nobody wants to talk about this, but as you age, some things in your life change and they do decrease and that estrogen does decrease. And this is why at the beginning part of your, the the yin and yang symbol, you'll see the big, the big head of the white and it comes down and it tapers to the tail. So you should ideally have the yin and the yang aspect of your life being somewhat harmonious, but sometimes it's not. So the very simplified way to look at it is that, oh, the black is the male aspect of the body and the yin is the female aspect of the body. Well, not really. It is seen as the way that the hormones play with each other. It's seen how your life evolves, how you start out so full and so robust as a baby with copious amounts of energy and absolutely lovely skin and lovely muscles. And then in the middle, it starts to shift. 
And you'll even see, so my mum's, maybe I shouldn't say anything. I hope she doesn't listen to this. (laughs) My mum's 80 uh, in a couple of weeks. And my mum has always been someone that has had easy muscle. She's always been somebody that's just been fairly muscly. And over the last 10 years, probably 15 years, you can absolutely see the degradation in her body. She is still active. She still walks. She still participates. But you can see it, right? That young aspect of her body isn't there anymore. That strength, that that fullness, that thickness of the muscles. It's just not there anymore. That's the shifting. So you can think about the way that the dial goes. Um, So what does that mean, right? It doesn't mean that you can't function, can't do things, but it means that you're more predisposed to some pain and some issues and some joint issues. Yin is also seen as the nourishing aspect of your body, as more the fluid aspect of your body. That's critical when you're speaking about joints, especially joints that you want to use, you know, beyond day-to-day stuff and so the world of acupuncture you want to do a couple things you want to nourish the yin aspect of the body you want to decrease the inflammation specifically in that joint and you want to invigorate blood flow those are the three things and those have been shown not the yin excuse me to tonify yin which means to build the yin aspect of the body the more nourishing aspect the more fluid aspect the water base of the body cannot be shown on functional mri but Decreasing inflammation and improving blood flow through vasodilation absolutely can be seen on it. Um, functional MRI. Excellent, excellent, excellent answer. You know, I and that does bring me. I, I wanted to make sure I asked because it comes up, and I and I this is I really don't know the answer myself. I hear people talk about quote unquote dry needling. Yes, is that the same as acupuncture? A subset of acupuncture? Different? What are what are those distinctions? So. Dry needling and acupuncture are the same in so much that they both use needles and they insert them into the body. Okay. And that's about the similar. That's how, that's the only similarity, right? Okay. Um, now, I have not taken, uh, I'm not a dry needler. I'm an acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. So please know that from my perspective. Uh, dry needling, from my understanding, is used more by physical therapists and um, chiropractors, though I, I, I cannot be 100% certain on the chiro front. I know it's predominantly more physical therapists. And it's used as a pain management technique, finding trigger point. Trigger points, right? Trigger point therapy. It is anywhere from a 22 to a 52-hour weekend course you can take. Um, I know that physical therapists... Um, are, are able to utilize that in their private practice. And that, that's a tool that they use for pain management. That is not what an acupuncturist does. An acupuncture does treat pain, but there is so much more to it. I, I won't even go back because we've already spoken for 45 seconds, 45 minutes, excuse me, about differential diagnosis, constitutional assessment, um, diversity of questions that you're asking, discussions about mental health, physical health, the whole kit and caboodle to use a phrase. Um, So I I know that, I think that there is also an insurance thing as well for the dry needling from the physical therapy that they can get some insurance reimbursement there. And I imagine that's part of the reason why it is taken uh, more notice from a popularity standpoint, because it can be included in that physical therapy treatment. Mm, That makes sense. For, you use the term many, many times now, and um, just for our audience who may be hearing it and aren't quite sure what you mean by differential diagnosis, can you give us a little, just a little explanation of what that, so they can really appreciate what that means? Oh, yeah. So uh, differential diagnosis is from the world of Chinese medicine, the conclusion, in my mind, the diagnosis that I form based on questions, physical presentation, auditory assessment, um, you know, sight, sound, smells, tongue investigation, pulse investigation, and if you're a Japanese practitioner, abdominal investigation. Gotcha. So it's just taking in all of these, the whole picture. Oh, yeah. It's, it's that algorithm I have in my brain at all times to kind of funnel things down to this is what I need to focus on. All right. I need to tonify this. I need to decrease this. I need to and I choose acupuncture points in accordance to that. Because again, no one point does one thing. They all they tend to work together. They're very symbiotic, if that's the right word. 
It is the right word. <laughs> this is, I could talk to you all day long. I'm fascinated by this and I love this conversation. I, but I, I think we've covered pretty much all that I had to ask. Is there anything that we have not talked about that you think would be useful to leave this audience with about acupuncture? Um, well, I think specifically from a menopausal standpoint is to encourage patients to look at this in the long game. At times, I've had patients become so frustrated with the fact that they just don't feel better fast enough. The, oh, I'm not going to remember her name. I'm sorry. The uh, Brigham and Women's physician who you interviewed that is the menopausal practitioner. Dr. Heather Hirsch? Dr. Hirsch. She had spoken about hormone replacement therapy, and um, she spoke about the intervals that if someone uh, participates in hormone replacement therapy, that she checks back in with them at either eight weeks or 10 weeks, and then another you know, uh, session out from there. And that's hard to hear when you come into a practitioner's office sometimes. And that's something that I have to combat a lot, that, oh, I would love it if you got up off the acupuncture table and you skipped across the parking lot and all of your symptoms were abated and you slept like you were five with your thumb sticking in your mouth tonight, you know? (laughs) That would just be great. Oh, like curled up all, you know, dead to the world. But typically that doesn't happen. And it's important for the practitioner to really educate the patient um, to make sure that they feel like you're their advocate, that you're listening to their needs, that you're acknowledging that um, that this isn't just, oh, it's just menopausal stuff and you just need to just suck up, so to speak. It's very detrimental to your life. One of the articles you had sent me uh, articles to look at. There was a British medical journal that was done by a Dutch a Dutch group. And in the title, it actually said that women were uh, something about bothersome menopausal symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> I had a moment where I thought, bothersome? Whip out my little dictionary because I actually still use dictionaries. Whipped out the little dictionary just for fun. And the definition of, of bothersome was annoying or irritable. I thought, how devaluing is that word alone yeah a fly in my office is bothersome (laughs) menopausal symptoms are not annoying they're detrimental to the quality of your life if you're someone that is suffering greatly and they need to be addressed and taken seriously so I'm I'm going to circle back. I am very open and upfront with my patients. Um, I always encourage them to seek out other practitioners as well. If I think that it helps them, I recommend guided meditation again, which the groan and the roll of the eyes, but I say, just give it a chance. You know, you have to just hang on that little bit longer so that you can start to see things shift enough that you think, okay, this is going to work for me. And I can do this. I can hang on that little bit longer Because when someone says to you, oh, yeah, five, seven years, you could be doing this. You think, oh, no, I need this to stop right now. Um, And so I will stop my on and on uh, discussion of that and say, give us a chance. There's multiple avenues that you can pursue. Acupuncture, participating with a good herbal practitioner as well. Um, Following up with your gynecologist, uh, uh, participating in HRT, if that works, if that's the right path for you, you don't have to suffer in silence and you shouldn't have to feel that these symptoms are bothersome. Well, that's our show. Join us next week for our special 100th episode edition we have your voicemails. Um, I'm sitting down with my producer, Carrie, and we're going to swap some inside information about how this show is made. Show you a little bit of the sausage making, but not too much. And just, you know, give a whole retrospective of what we've learned and uh, look forward into where we're going. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. 
Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.